Um, so sweet. Holy Week, Palm Sunday. Um, this is the day Jesus comes from the Mount of Olives, riding on that donkey, and they're crying out, Hosanna, save now, save us. You're the king. The king is here. And uh, this is a special day. This is a day where, um, for me, I, I obviously wore my Palm Sunday shirt, if you can't tell. My wife made fun of me. She's like, you're so thematic. I'm like, I have to. It's Palm Sunday. I love it. Um, I, I don't care. I've done this every year. I'm going to show you. This is my rock that I took from the Mount of Olives back in 2000, I think it was 12. This is the rock I got from the Mount of Olives. Do you see what looks like a little Pac-Man, right? Because what happens? If they did not cry out, what would have happened? The trees and rocks would have cried out and worshipped. So this is my little rock that reminds me, if I don't worship, this thing will just start talking, man. Um, so I got my little Pac-Man rock. My thing is this. Um, this is a reminder for us that all of creation, everything is the Lord's, everything in it, that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they got it for a second. <laughs> and then Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. And so often that's what happens to us. When Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do, how do we respond? What do we do? He came in on the Mount of Olives, being all hail King Jesus, to crucify him, crucify him. And I, I want us just to be ready for this story and what this week is. And here's what we're doing. We're in 1 Kings 19. We're not on the Mount of Olives, but we're on Mount Oreb, all right? Um, so we're going to actually look at this. This is one of the most amazing, impactful stories I believe in the Old Testament. This is truly one of the most encouraging stories to me, and I really mean that. Here's the title today. The title simply is, God Meets Our Physical and Spiritual Needs. God meets our physical and spiritual needs. This is a long time. I actually wrote down my original title was, God is so good to meet our physical and spiritual needs. Because actually, when we read this story, what we see is God is like, Elijah, I see you. You're hungry. You're angry. You're tired. Take a nap. Eat some food. Here's some water. Take a nap. Eat some food. Here's some water. God is so good. God cares so much about your physical needs. You need to know that. Sometimes the church can be almost anti that. God cares about your physical needs, and God also cares about your spiritual needs. And God shows up in this famous story, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the wind, but a still small voice God speaks. And listen, God still speaks. And so I want to like look at our text today. We're going to read the passage all the way through. Um, just so you can kind of follow along and see the big picture of what's going on. In case you are new or newer, just let me briefly explain, and you guys might know this, uh, King Solomon, you have King David, King Solomon, he does not honor God, so the kingdom splits. You have two guys, there's Rehoboam, and what else? Jeroboam, okay, Rehoboam is the actual biological son of Solomon. Rehoboam takes over which kingdom, the north or south? The south, good job, you guys, the southern kingdom, which is also called Judah, so he has the temple. He has the priests. It's Judah, the Benjamites, some of the Levites, but that's basically the southern kingdom. That's where Rehoboam is. Then you have the northern kingdom, and that's called Israel. Now, that always confuses me because you're like, isn't all but Israel? Yes, but at that point in time, it's like referred to as Israel. It's the 10 tribes in the north, and you have Jeroboam leading that. Now, from that point on, you're going to see like it move quickly through a lot of different kings, and as we kind of walk through 1 Kings and 2 Kings next, you're going to see it kind of speeds through some of the kings a lot faster than others. Sometimes they'll slow down and focus on the prophets and what they're saying to the kings. And I really do want this to be helpful for you guys because as a kid reading the Old Testament, I'm like, what prophet went where to who? What did he do? What did he say? Why to them? So here's the idea. There's two kingdoms. You have the north, Israel, the south, Judah. And you have the north. Never once did they have a good king. It's sad. And yet, and yet, you'll see God be gracious even to the north even to the northern kingdom. God is still so good to them. In the southern kingdom, you have about five good kings. A couple of kings are like mixed, but you see also prophets go to them. So we're looking at right now in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, who is a primarily a prophet to King Ahab in the north. Ahab seems to be the most wicked king up until this point, like the most wicked king who basically, because of his wife, institutes worship to the different Baals, the different gods of their land. And now it's like a part of their culture and DNA. The North is worshiping them. If you remember in chapter 18, uh, there's a showdown between Elijah and the prophets. Elijah wins. Fire comes down from heaven. They're like, okay, he's God. The people respond briefly. He's God, the Lord. He is God, but they don't really believe it. You're going to see basically, as we saw last week, man, prayer. Didn't uh, Pastor Brian did such a good job walking through that text. And we looked at prayer, the power of prayer. He's praying for rain. He's praying for rain, but there's a drought. He's praying. He looks up. He's praying. He looks up. God responds to the prayer. Here's why I bring all this up. 
Elijah just had amazing victory. Victory after fire from heaven. There's rain after three and a half years. And now here's this woman, Jezebel, who's like, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And Elijah's like, God, kill me now. I hate my life. And Elijah basically goes to this weird, depressed moment. And God is so good not to condemn him in his lack of faith, but to meet him where he's at. So that's why I love this text, 1 Kings 19. You guys ready to read it? Can we read it? 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Let's just read it all the way through, and then we'll uh, pray. Verse 1 through 18. So 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he, Elijah, was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. It's almost like he's quitting the ministry. I'm leaving my servant. I'm done. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked. And behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Oreb, the mountain of God. This is also Mount Sinai, and I can't wait to get into that. Verse 9. So forty days go by. He came to a cave at Mount Sinai and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and I seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out, God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain, tore the mountains, and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take my life to take it away. And here's what the Lord said. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, so after Ahab. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Maloah, you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. Three different people to anoint. And we're finally introduced to Elisha. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You're like, what is going on? We're, don't worry. We're going to get into it. I can't wait. Let's do it. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we just want to say thank you. We're, we're so grateful how you are so faithful to meet men, <laughs> to meet us, to meet people who are broken, who are tired, who are afraid or depressed, who are in this low mental state, just exhausted, that God, you're so faithful to show up in a whisper. We just want to say thank you, Lord. God, thank you that you care enough about our bodies that you feed us, you give us water, you give us rest. <laughs> thank you that you're faithful, that you want to speak to us when our heart is hard. Lord, I just ask that you would just continue to do that. God, wake us up to how good you are. God, you are so good to meet our physical and spiritual needs, despite our temper tantrums. 
despite our lack of faith, and we just say, thank you, Jesus. You're so good, Lord. And then we ask that you would speak. Our heart is just, we want to listen. In your name, amen. How many of you know that um, your physical body definitely affects your soul and your spirit? How many of you know that? Like, you, the more you kind of get older, the more you age, the more you realize like, the physical things actually do affect me. You know, this week I've been sick. Tuesday I got sick. Wednesday, Thursday, it was rough. And like, I'm glad I got it this week before Easter week. In some ways I knew something was going around. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad I got it now. But it's funny. When you're sick, man, I don't know. My wife makes fun of me. She's like, guys are the biggest babies and they're sick. I'm like, no, we're not. I'm going to die. Like, it's bad. Um, <laughs> she's, she's not wrong. But it's funny, like, when, I'm, when any one of us are sick, no one's like, you know what, today, today I'm just going to pray for, like, an hour. Like, no one, no one, like, is really aware or, like, strives for the things of God. Like, it's weird when my physical body's attacked. It's weird how much it takes me out of the game spiritually. It's weird how it just affects me in every way. Isn't it, it's mind-blowing to me to think, and I don't know if we realize this, and I really want to hammer on this point. Um, our bodies are very unique. God formed us in our mother's womb. There is something so beautiful about the body. There's something I want us to redeem when it comes to like Christians and our mindset on the body, because I think we maybe have a broken or skewed view of the body. And I think it's worth noting. I mean, people will get into this, and I think this is just true. Who you are, your height, your age, your race, your ethnicity, all that affects you and your personality, and so will also maybe affect, at times, your spiritual life. And it shapes your personality, it shapes who you are. The Bible's not afraid of that, it addresses that. All tribes, nations, tongues are gathered before the throne of God right? I love that. Like, when, upon the idea of the resurrection, like, it's still you and your body just resurrected and glorified. And what's fascinating to me about the body is, like, it, again, it just shapes who we are, right? If you have a friend who's very tall or very short, it kind of shapes their personality. It's just so funny. I grew up with a friend in high school, one of, like, three guys who was seven feet tall, Justin, and I loved hanging out with this guy. He wore a shirt everywhere he went, and he's like, yes, I'm seven feet tall. Don't ask. That's what he wore, because he was so sick of it. So we go to the mall, and he put his shirt on. I'm seven feet tall, like on the back. I'm seven feet tall. Yes, I'm seven feet. Don't ask. And it's just funny, like, because we make jokes about it. We make fun of his height. He, he literally had a custom-made bed. I thought that was so cool. I'm like, dude, like, his, he can't fit in beds. I'm like, that obviously shaped who he was as a person. It shaped his personality. It shaped how we interacted with him. Maybe you have a friend who's very, very short. <laughs> it shapes their personality. And it's funny how, like, it can shape your humor. It can shape who you are. Like, all of those things. How many comedians talk about maybe just who they are and their body and how they're designed? It's just fascinating to me. Because sometimes as Christians, we can be dismissive at times of the human body. You know, the Gnostic belief, like, that infiltrated the early church was the material is bad, or therefore your body is bad, the spirit's what matters, so go ahead and basically do whatever you want with your body. Because it kind of led to like, well, I'll sleep with who I want to sleep with, I'll do what I want, because all that God cares about is my soul and my spirit, so does the, does the physical really matter? The answer to that is yes. Absolutely the body matters, and in so many ways. I actually kind of have to point this out because it, it frustrates me. C.S. Lewis did not say this, even though we think he says this. Here's a quote that C.S. Lewis did not say. Maybe you've quoted this. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Wrong. He did not say that. Let's just stop quoting C.S. Lewis on that. The reason why I bring this up is because, no, no, you are a soul and you are a body. This is so important to God. That's why he resurrects our bodies. Do, do we get that? That Jesus came and dwelt in a body. God is not anti-body. <laughs> like, God cares about our spirit. We must be born of water and we must be born of the spirit. Absolutely. But do we understand that God actually does care about our body? This is so necessary to know. Because you have Christians, I think, who idolize the body, and then you have Christians who demonize the body. There's this overemphasis at times, and I think that's why we do certain things. I think that's why people alter the bodies. They change it, whether in their mind, for, in their mind it's for better in some way, or maybe they starve the body. There's, just, there's this fascination with the body. So we can idolize it, we can demonize it, and hate it, and cut it, and be frustrated with it. It's just interesting. And the Bible has a very unique view of, no, 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 no. Your body is not your own. Glorify God in your body. Your body's beautiful. You're an image bearer of God. Can I tell you actually what 1 Thessalonians 5 says? 1 Thessalonians 5.23. No, listen to this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Does God care about the body? Yes. We have to see this. God cares about the physical. God cares about your physical needs. Again, sometimes the church can overemphasize this 
or they can underemphasize this and dismiss it. I want to, how do we, how do we approach this, this body or the physical side of things? God's like, I see you and I care. I love what Dallas Willard said about this. He says, my body, and this is one of the first one, you guys, my body is the original and primary place of my dominion and my responsibility. It is only through my body that I have a world in which to live. My life experiences come to me through or in conjunction with my body. Thus, my parents and my date and place of birth are bodily realities that are foundational to who I am. It is only with and through my body that I receive a place in time and a space in human history. In human history, Through it, I am given a family, a gender, a language, a national culture, and a set of talents along with opportunities to use them. We have to see this. We can't fall into the trap of idolizing the body and the body's everything and the body's God. And we can't into the trap where we demonize the body and we neglect it or forsake it or act like God doesn't care about it. There's such a beautiful response I think the scriptures have to this. There's one author I really enjoy. Her name is Ruth Haley Barton. She said, the spiritual discipline of honoring the body helps us find our way between the excesses of a culture that glorifies and objectifies the body and the excesses of Christian tradition that have often uh, denigrated and ignored the body. We have to be aware of this. Listen, what does the Bible say about the body? What is God's view of the body? I want to say this, God, and I think a lot of us need to hear this today, God cares about you. He actually cares about your body. He cares about your physical needs. We'll get into some more verses, more scripture on this, but I have two points today that I want us to walk through, and it's verse 1 through 8, verse 9 through 18. So here's the first point. God cares about your body, so rest up. Number two is God cares about your spirit, so listen up, all right? God cares about your body. Rest up. Man, that is a command over and over again. It's good to rest. God cares about your spirit, so we need to listen. You guys with me? So the first point, let's kind of break this down. This is unbelievable. What was just happening with, with Elijah? Elijah was just on a different mount, Mount Carmel, right? Battling the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. I brought this up, but I just think this is fascinating. They are doing what's their body? They're cutting their body. Blood is pouring out. God, you must hear us and listen to us. They, they're really hurting themselves. They're hurting their body. Elijah doesn't have to do that to himself. In fact, Elisha, he has an amazing victory. He, he prays and God answers the prayer. You know, so much so that Ahab, the king of the north, goes to his wife and says, uh, hey, honey, Jezebel, the one who introduced all these uh, pagan gods to them. Honey, like Elijah's God is God. He won. He called on fire from heaven. And she's like, I'm going to do to him what he did to my prophets. Like, we're going to get him. Elijah hears this and immediately says he ran for his life. Now that is, I, I love this text because from last week we read in James 5 that Elijah was a man like us. And it's funny because I'm like, Elijah, you just called down fire from heaven. You pray and end a three-year plus drought. And a, like this woman just says, I'm going to kill him. And you just say, God, kill me now. I want to die. Like, what is that? What, how do you go from this insane high to this crazy low? Like, you know God has been so good and so faithful. How are we so quick to forget? Like, your God just answered your prayer in so many ways. And he runs for his life. And I, we have to point, that, point this out. He goes, he sleeps under a tree. This angel wakes him up. He's like, I got this amazing cake made for you. This jar of water. It's probably pure, I don't know, perfectly whatever number of water. It's amazing. Wakes him up, he eats, he goes back to sleep. He wakes up, he eats, drinks, goes back to sleep. You know what I love? The, the angel wasn't like, what are you doing, Elijah? You, you're a joke. You need to be praying right now. You need to be like fasting. How dare you? I think Christians are, we're way more heavy-handed with each other sometimes than, than God or angels are with us. <laughs> like, think about this. I, I've seen Christians go through, like, low, depressive kind of states, and I've seen Christians who I love dearly go, oh, you're just lacking faith. Your prayer life is just awful. And it's, weird. it's usually some sort of question on them and their care. Can I tell you? Maybe the best advice is, like, hey, you should go home and take a nap. <laughs> can I tell you? Maybe this is a good Bible study. Can I tell you? Maybe you just need to go home and take a nap. All right, you can tell your wife, hey, honey, it's biblical, okay? Like, I'll just this. There's something, there is something so beautiful about this. I actually do think that God, we see this, we see this beautiful sense of God's like, I care about your physical needs. Like, God's like, it's okay. Sleep, eat, drink, repeat. <laughs> it's amazing. We need to see that we serve a God who, who understands that we are human, that we are 
it says in the Psalms, but dust, not but dust, but we are but dust. <laughs> so I don't know why my mind went to that. I couldn't say it without thinking it. But he knows that we are just, <laughs> we are just dust. Leave, leave me alone. All right. He, he understands that I am, right? <laughs> Here's what I want us to see. God's like, I get you. I get you. I know your frame. I know you're human. I know you get sleepy and tired and hungry. I, I get that. I truly think this is so important to the Christian life. Because I actually really want you to hear this. Do you know that God cares about your body and God cares about your physical needs? He just says, arise and eat. I love what one author said. She said, the Christian practice of honoring the body is born of the confidence that our bodies are made in the image of God's own goodness. As the place where the divine presence dwells, our bodies are worthy of care and blessing. It is through our bodies that we participate in God's activity in the world. Do you understand like, that God's like, I use your body to participate, to reach the world. Like, so take care of your body. There's a side of this that is, I do think the enemy wants us to do certain things that will bring harm to our body, right? And that could be so many different things. That could be through the lack of self-care, the lack of sleep, the how you eat, your diet. That could be through so many different things. I don't, I don't know if we actually get to sometimes this, like God cares about your body and what you do with it. This is so necessary. And so God, listen, I'm trying to write that God gives attention to Elijah's physical condition. I just love that. God's like, I, Elijah, I see you, man. You're basically saying, you want to die, take my life, just rest and eat some food. <laughs> I love it because in some ways, I can't not read this as like a parent. I just feel like this is how I am with my toddler. Like, you're grumpy? Oh, you want a nap and some food? Here you go. Like, I just sometimes see it that way, but like, my like, God, you're so good. Like, I, I need that sometimes. I love what Vance Habner said, like a goat. He said this, if you do not come apart and rest, you will come apart. <laughs> it's just it's true. If you don't take that time, I was talking about this with a friend recently, and this is kind of different, but we're talking about how in the church, a lot of times, um, sabbaticals are used for pastors as a disciplinary thing. Hey, you, ah, things are off in your life, you need to take sabbatical. We're out bringing this up of like, what if we actually use it in a positive way? Whether things are going great or things are going ter- terribly, the idea, just like you have maybe weekly Sabbath, or you have monthly rhythms, or yearly rhythms, what if you had seven-year rhythms? And we we're trying to talk about this just in, a, in like a positive light. What if it wasn't in response to like a negative thing? What if it's just like, no, there are certain rhythms in life. You need weekly rhythms, daily rhythms, monthly rhythms, yearly rhythms. Like you need certain rhythms in your life. God cares about you. God cares about your physical condition. I love this because it says in Psalm 127, the author writes, he gives his beloved rest or actually sleep. Isn't that so cool? It's like he, he, he gives his beloved sleep. There, there's certain things about the Bible that I don't know if you, like we'll meditate and focus on a lot of verses that we, but like there's verses like this. I'm like, wow, Lord. You actually care about sleep? Like, do we get that? God is like so good. That's like, I get it. You are human. You need rest. I love you. I want to give you sleep. I want to give you rest. This is just so needed. Paul said it this way, right? First Timothy 4. He says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. The goal, you guys, the goal is godliness. Sometimes bodily exercise can help you. Because it is true. I know this for me. When I eat terribly, when I don't sleep, I don't normally want to pray or spend time with the Lord. Like, I, I, it's weird. It, obviously, those things affect me. And it's weird how, like, we got to actually be aware of this. We got to be aware of how our body plays into our soul and our spirit and our daily life with God. And I really hope you're following this because there's not a lot of um, maybe talks or emphasis, emphasis on this, but we see this so clearly. Listen, the goal is godliness, and sometimes physical care is a way to meet spiritual needs. Yes? Amen? Paul said it another way. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. Eating, drinking, Elijah, eat, drink. This will lead to my glory. You need, to, you need your strength. You're about to fast for 40 days. So it's not just an indulgence idea. You're about to go through it. So you take the proper care leading up to this. Again, um, this idea, many times physical care is a way to meet spiritual needs. I'm just trying to find different ways in some ways to say the same thing. Physical care is a way to meet spiritual needs. I love this because, you know, we went to a conference recently and you heard the pastor give this talk and he basically shared, you know, when it comes to like sometimes like one of the first disciplines of following Jesus, he said, our first piece of advice is get eight hours of sleep. He's like, that's our first piece of advice. Because then you actually might be ready to spend time in the Bible. You actually might give God your best at that point. It's, it's not like you're, you're giving him, like, I slept for four hours, and now I'm just a mess, and I have no desire to pray a week because I have so, so much to do, and my, my brain's kind of halfway working. 
It's like maybe the first thing you need to do is, is truly rest. Here's, here's why I'm bringing all this up. Um, it, this idea and this text and what we see in scriptures, it begs the question, what are our bodies for? That's what this, like, this it truly does beg the question for us. We're talking so much about God seeing our physical needs and our bodies. So what are our bodies for? Can I tell you, there is this weird cliche thing said a lot in our day that is absolutely false. There is this idea of my body, my choice. It's crazy how I, you hear people chant that. And I'm going, actually, can I give you a better one that Paul clearly says? He says, your bodies are members of Christ. How much, that's a better thing to chant. Your bodies are members of Christ. My body, my choice. Really? Is that your body? Yeah, it is. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? <laughs> For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Isn't that unbelievable? My body, no, you're, you are bought at a price. It's his, you are not your own, he says. It is so clear, like this is God's. Romans 6 says you either present your body to God for righteousness or you present your body to sin. And you become a slave to that. Everyone presents their body to something. Does God have a right over every part of you? This is yours. This is his, I mean, not yours. Or you say, this is mine. Or you say, this is mine. And you, we see where that leads us. My point is that this is not your own. You were bought at a price. How beautiful is that? That your body belongs to Jesus, man. Do you know he's so good? Do you know that he cares about you? Do you know we have a God who's like, sleep, eat, drink, repeat? <laughs> we, we have a God who's like, I see your needs. I care about your needs. This is so important. So again, this leads to don't idolize your body. Listen, do not idolize your body. That can be a trap with this kind of conversation. Do not idolize your body. Do not demonize your body. Honor. Give it to the Lord. You can idolize it by obsessing and becoming fixated, and I got to fix this or fix that. You can demonize and hate it. But I was like, nope, neither. It's Jesus's. Bodily exercise profits a little. Give it to him. Honor him. There's something so beautiful about this. If we could actually have a right and healthy perspective of the body. Paul said it this way, and I want to just be really, this is so beautiful. You're like, so what do we do with our bodies? Is it our body? No. But it, again, it's his body. But here's what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I want you to hear this. How cool is this? Like, Paul's like, all right. And a lot of everything we just talked through Romans, therefore, you need to give your body to God as a living sacrifice, as a sense of spiritual worship. Because in reality, um, a sacrifice is never living. We know that. Sacrifice is always dead. <laughs> but the idea is like, no, God, here's my body. I'm alive to you. I'm alive to you. What do you want to do? Here I am. Send me. My hands, my feet, my ears. It's funny. Um, I probably brought this up before, but I, I do love this. It's fun. Like my daughter who's four, or now my son who's like 10 months, like they're still little enough. We're like, I'll hold them. And many times at night, I will like pray over them, obviously. And I'll get to like rub his little ears and just pray over his ears. Rub his lips and pray over his lips. Rub his hands and pray over his hands. It's just usually something like, Jesus, let my son or let my daughter, let her hear from you. Let her obey you. Let her just follow you. Let her trust in you. Let her take in wor your work as faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word. Or like praying over the lips, Lord, use their lips to speak life and truth. God, use their hands to serve you. Use their feet. Send them. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. There's such this beautiful emphasis of the body being a part of worship. My, my point is like don't, like, don't disassociate, okay, my spirit and my body. God's like, no, no, I'm going to resurrect. I, I want your body, soul, and spirit to be complete, blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. God cares about your body. Yes? Amen? Do we do whatever we want with it? No, we say, Lord, what do you want to do with it? It's not mine. This is a beautiful gift. What do you want me to do with it? We got to change what we're saying. My we can't chant the, the chants of this world. My body belongs to Christ. My body was bought at a price. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. This is where God meets with you. Again, one more th quote from uh, Ruth Haley Barton. Where is it? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to find it, so I'm just going to skip it. Here's the idea. She basically said, in a unique way, God meets with us in our body. And so, therefore, we need to, it's up there. You guys read it out loud to me then. Because <laughs> I'm not finding it. Thanks. I'm glad that they found it. 
there's this idea, though, of just saying, Lord, this body, it's yours, and this is where you meet me. So I want to honor it. I, I want to live for you with it. This is not mine. It's not what I want to do. It's yours, Lord. So here's the thing. The body is the platform to meet God. Do we understand that? Think about this. The body is the platform to meet God. If the Holy Spirit dwells in us, this is the platform on which we meet with God. You know, this is why it might be strange to some, but, um, and you guys know this, right? Body language matters. We know that. Like, body language does matter. If you're talking to your spouse, and they're like, why are you looking at me like that? You're like, what do you mean I'm not looking at you wrong? It's weird how body language matters. It communicates something, right? Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but we, yeah, we had a friend one time give us a book on, like, change your body language. We're like, oh, okay. Um, body language matters. It really does matter. It communicates a lot. I think we know that, but do we really get that? If you're married, you know that. You, you should know this. Body language really does matter. You know what's fascinating about offering your body to God as a living sacrifice? Can I tell you, there's this idea, right? God has never asked us to do something that he hasn't done. Do we understand that Jesus offered his body as a sacrifice? So he's like, therefore, in light of that, offer your body as this living sacrifice. Do we get the idea that like your body and being a part of worship just matters in so many ways? This to me is so mind-blowing. That's why in the Psalms, and I'm going to throw a few verses up here so you can see this. That's why in the Psalms, he talks about our bodies in worship. He, he says, clap your hands, worship and bow down, kneel, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. Like, why do Christians, I remember being like in middle school watching people worship. I'm like, why are they doing that? Like, I thought it was so weird. I'm like, why are you clapping, weirdos? I don't know. Maybe if you're like new to church, you see people, like Christians like, yay, and you're like, that's so weird. Like, why do Christians do that? Why are, they, why are their hands up? Because it tells us to. It says, raise your hands to the Lord's sanctuary. Bless his name. My point is this. Um, maybe you don't get it. Just obey it, right? And it's so bizarre. I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong. I'm just saying that there's this book on the Psalms. It's saying like, hey, here's actually a, a practice or guidebook on how to worship. Maybe there's times to kneel. Maybe there's times to bow down. Maybe there's times just to clap. Maybe there's times to raise your hands. My point is this. Like this, I don't want this to be a church where people come in and everyone's like hands in their pocket. If your hands are in your pocket, what's all? No judgment here. I'm not going to judge you for that. My point is it's okay to move. It's okay to bow and kneel and stand and clap and shout. All these body words. It's just fascinating to me how God's like, I care about your body language matters to God. <laughs> saying, I surrender. I surrender, Lord. You're high above. I'm here on earth. Raise your hands to his holy sanctuary. There's just something about like God's like, your body language matters. Your, body, your body's a living sacrifice. Offered up. This is why I believe Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians 9. He says what? But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should not become disqualified. It's terrifying, first of all. He's saying, I, I want to make sure my actions and my lifestyle is backing up what I'm preaching, backing up my words. It's very humbling for me. It's humbling for you. Anyone who says, I want to preach the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Paul's like, you know what I have to do? I have to discipline my body because my body wants to do something else. My body maybe wants to sleep in. My body doesn't want to fast. My body doesn't want to pray. My body doesn't want to get on its knees. It's like, that's why you discipline it. You're basically saying, I know your body's crying out to do all the opposite. Your body's saying, no, no, you don't need to pray and get on your knees or bow down. You don't need to do that. That's for someone back in the day, not for you. No, like it goes, that's why you discipline, he's like, I discipline my body and bring it to subjection. That's why sometimes doing those postures are like, you know, I'm gonna be on my face alone in my room. I'm gonna be on my knees alone in my room. Because there's something about bringing your body, that's why I'm gonna fast today, or I'm, that's why I'm gonna do that. Like there's something about saying, no, no body, you say to do this, but you don't control me, I control you. Hey body, you want that? Too bad. <laughs> Body's crying out for some sexual experience. Too bad, body. Like, you don't, you don't control me. I, I'm not a slave to you. That's the idea of, like, our body. I discipline my, I bring it. You know, it's funny because it, it takes, guys, it takes practice, right? It's just so funny to me because I'm watching my son go through it. Whenever you're learning something new or new sport, you're the mo it, you just look like a weird little deer that's been born, like, trying to walk and it looks so goofy. Like, if you ever try to, like, do anything new, you just feel like a, a dork. I don't know. I, I, I want to learn new things right now, but I don't want to be like in my 30s looking like I'm six years old again, right? So I'm like, I want to learn new things, but then I try something new and I'm like, I, I, if you videotape this, I'm so embarrassed. I try like a golf swing and I'm like, I look ridiculous. Like it's terrible. Like I want to try new things, right? So it's funny. I, I think about this though growing up. Like, okay, what, for me, you guys know this, but basketball is my thing. So for hours and hours and hours, my body tried to do one thing and I'd be like, stop it. You're awkward. And then you have to basically like focus and force your body to learn a certain move or learn this repetition over and over and over again. And the first few times you look so dorky and so clumsy and you're tripping over your own feet and you're falling over. But that's why it, like, it does take practice. And eventually you're like, oh, it looks so beautiful. You guys saw the FAU game and that pull-up jump shot mid-range. Oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. But it's so beautiful. It's like pull-up, swish. It's unbelievable. But I'm like, oh my gosh, he did that tens of thousands of times, guaranteed where it looked beautiful. It was amazing. The point of that is saying, spiritually speaking, it might be uncomfortable, 
when you're telling your body to do something, it might be awkward. It might take you a while. It's okay. That's, all, it's, that's part of the spiritual journey. Maybe you're like, I don't want to fast. I don't want to raise my hands. I don't want to bow down before God. Do it. You might have those same thoughts like you did when you were a kid. This doesn't feel right. It feels uncomfortable. It's okay. I discipline my body, Paul says. I bring it into subjection. It doesn't tell me what to do. I tell it what to do. Are you guys following me on that? Can I tell you, it's not, just, it's not like God cares about your body, therefore, do whatever you want. It's God cares about your body, therefore, offered up to him as a living sacrifice. God cares about your body, therefore, rest. I love that. We're invited into that. So can we see, first of all, with Elijah, God is not giving him this pep talk. God is not lecturing him. The angel's not lecturing him. God, how dare you, you little, you man of little faith. He's just like, hey, here's some food. Go back to sleep. Here's some water. Get ready. You got a journey ahead of you. Now, obviously, God's like, I care about your spiritual needs, Elijah. You basically just said, kill me, take me out of the ministry. Okay, so let's talk about that. Listen up. So let's go to number two. Number two is this. God cares about your spirit, so listen up. I have to point this out. You guys stay with me because this is so, so powerful what he does. In verse eight, it says, Elijah rose, ate and drank, and went in strength of that food four days and four nights to Oreb, the mountain of God. Okay, this is fascinating to me. And I, I man, it's been like a while. I don't, this is like in the back of my memory. It was so fun to restudy this this week and be like, yes, Lord, that's so cool how you do that. Mount Oreb is Mount Sinai. He's on a 40-day journey from where he was. He's fasting. He's not eating. 40 days on Mount Sinai, about to experience God. Who does that remind you of? Moses. Guys, he's reenacting Moses. He's reenacting Exodus 32 and 33. He's reenacting Moses. God, show me your glory. And God passes by. This is literally the same Hebrew word. For God passed, it says the Lord passed by on Mount Sinai. This is fascinating to me. You have Moses who's kind of over the law. You have Elijah who's over the prophets. Moses and Elijah. You have Mount Sinai. God gives his commandments. God shows Moses his glory. Here's what Elijah knows. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm about to die. God, take my life. God's like, you have a journey. You're going to be fasting. You're going to be fasting on Mount Sinai, and you're going to experience my glory, but it's going to be different than with Moses. And here's what he knows. He's going to something he's familiar with in this time of fear, in this time of depression, Listen, let me just encourage you, um, when you're kind of like distressed or overwhelmed or like frustrated, go to what you know. Here's what he knows. God, you showed up to Moses on Mount Sinai fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Do that with me. So the Lord shows him. He brings him to Mount Oreb, which is also Mount Sinai. He's fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And God appeared to Elijah with fire and quaking, but with Elijah's a still small voice. I want us to see this because this really is interesting. Um, The primary ways in which we see God show up a lot of times in the Old Testament is fire very clearly. Just over and over again with with Abraham, with Moses, God appears in pillars of fire. Just fire is how God makes himself known many times. With Job, if you remember that at the end of Job, God appeared to Job in this mighty, powerful rushing wind. This powerful hurricane type of wind. Same thing kind of with the disciples actually in Acts 2 in the upper room. It's like wind, this power. Then you also see the quaking. On Mount Sinai, I mean, it was like shaking, earthquakes, lightning, thunder, quaking, everything's shaking. It's so interesting, right, that it says these examples. It's like God showed up with just powerful wind, but the Lord was not in the wind. Like God showed up with quaking, but the Lord was not in, in the quaking. God showed up with fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Basically, how God has met with different people before, he's not going to be with you this way. God's like, I can do it differently. I need you to see this, so stay with me. Why does God kind of show him the, it's, when I first read this, I'm like, that's just cool, to show him like the power of the force. Again, if this was on video, I can't even imagine this. Like he's on Mount Sinai, if we get to see on video like fire and shaking and powerful gusts of wind, like all of that, and like, but the Lord's not in it, the Lord's not in it, the Lord's not in it. And God's just reenacting how he showed up so many different times in so many ways, but not with Elijah, not in that way. And there, there's, it really makes you go, what is God doing? Why is he showing him this, but he's not in this? Why is he saying, I've done this with those other guys, but I'm not going to do it with you this way? Elijah thinks he just won this victory on Mount Carmel. God, the people, you are God, you are God. All of Israel should be in repentance and make you Lord and God, but here is Jezebel trying to take my life. God, you're not doing what I thought you would do. I thought the north would have great revival. I thought Jezebel would just fall with her gods. But what happens? She's pursuing me in my life now? 
God, it's not supposed to go down this way. God, God, you're supposed to do it the way I think you should be doing it. Elijah is essentially putting God in a box. So what is God doing? He's showing him, look, I work in different ways. You cannot put me in a box. This is very interesting to me. God doesn't show up the same way he showed up to the previous men of old. He shows up and said, I love this in verse 12. Uh, it says a whisper or another translation, a still small voice. Guys, this is so profound to me. Because Elijah think, thinks what? Um, Lord, at this point in time, there should be a revival in the north of Israel. You should be the king of kings. Everyone should get this. Jezebel should be dead off the throne. There should be people pursuing her and Ahab. But in reality, I'm being pursued. After my great victory, after what I've done, God, I'm the only prophet left. And listen to how he's talking to God. I'm the only one left. You see like, this arrogance. You see this. And God just shows up in these powerful ways. And he goes, I know you think it's in the dramatic that I show up, but I'm also going to show up in a still small voice. Sometimes we do want God to show up in this dramatic kind of a fashion. Like, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but we would love this. If God were just to appear right now, we would love that. I'd be like, yes. But in reality, God's like, no, no, I don't want to just like show up in the dramatic. I'm going to show up in that still, small voice. We have to slow down, quiet yourself, and hear from me. It's just he hears a whisper, it says. And I just want us to get this. God's like, don't put me in a box, Elijah. I didn't do what you wanted me to do with Ahab or Jezebel. In fact, the people God tells him to go anoint doesn't make sense to me. Go anoint the king of Syria. Go anoint, so not even Jewish, not even believing in our God. Go anoint who? Uh, the, north, the other king of Israel who's evil? Go anoint my, my replacement. This is fascinating to me. God's like, you want out? I'm going to give you an out. You're gonna, I'm going to anoint you the guy who's going to take over. Now, Elijah will still be used, but we're going to see in 2 Kings 2, we're going to see Elisha take on and have double the power and double the authority. But the whole point is, God's like, I'm gonna, I'm, I've done things the way you did not expect me to do them. I'm going to do things the way you don't expect me to do them. I'm God. Do not put me in a box. You thought I should show up this way and take down Ahab and Jezebel? You thought I should show up in the fire? You, sh- you thought I should show up in the wind, in the earthquake? Don't put me in a box. I love what Elizabeth Elliot said, the famous missionary. She says, God is God. If he is God... He is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere but in his will. And that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. Do we get that? God is God. Why do we do this so often in our faith? God, if, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it this way. Because you would never have me anoint a Gentile pagan. You would never let her continue to be on the third. No, God, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it the way I want you to do it. And God's like, no, no, I can, I can work in ways that you do not understand. I'm God. Don't put me in a box. Know what's so crazy about all this too? God showed up in a whisper. This is just another form of grace. It's not the fire. It's not judgment. It's not the quaking. It's not where, remember, no one or no animal could be on Mount Sinai with Moses. Not all that fear around this. There's just a still, small voice. I want you to see this. When God whispers, that is, that is I, the idea of just grace. God's like, I love you. I'm just speaking. Can you, can you just slow down? Be quiet and listen. What if I were to tell you that God still does speak, but it's probably not in the way you want him to? What if I were to tell you that God still shows up, but it's probably not how you want him to? I would love the dramatic. Because I would love the I would absolutely love. It'd be so cool to me if God showed up in the fire, wind, and quaking. I would love that. I'm like, see, that was easy. We don't, you know, that was so great. Okay, focus on that. But he shows up in a still, small voice. And you have to be very quiet. And you have to have an, an open ear to hear. And I would say this, I still do believe God shows up and speaks. But you have to listen. What I love about this, and I was just trying to find a way to meditate. Like, honestly, last night I was in bed laying and thinking about this story. And I was just reminded of another mountain. This is so cool to me. With Moses and Elijah, Mount Sinai, showing up, experiencing the glory of God. When Jesus was on the Mount of, Transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration, who was on that mount? Moses and Elijah. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on another mount, on a high mount, it says, and Moses and Elijah, the ones who experienced God in this Mount Sinai way, get to experience God in a different way. And they experience him on, mount, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter sees this. Remember what Peter does? Peter goes, oh my gosh, it's like Moses and Elijah. Like, I love Peter. He's like, Jesus, if it's okay with you, can I just build like three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Right? And then like a voice comes from heaven. It's like basically like, shut up. It's like, hey, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I just found that fascinating. 
Here's Elijah on another mountain hearing the voice of God and Peter as well, but the voice is saying, listen to Jesus. Elijah's on another mountain, not hearing a whisper, but he's face to face with the Son of God. And he hears God show up on this mountain like Peter did and read the story of Matthew 17. And Elijah's there when God speaks and says, this is my son, listen to him. I just feel like for Elijah's, I had never thought of the Mount of Transfiguration from like Elijah's perspective, like, whoa, flashback. I was on another mountain where God whispered to me. And now here, God's showing up in a powerful way and saying, that guy, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. My thing is this. Um, we need to have a listening ear because God is still speaking. God, who spoke at various times and in various ways, has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to him. God's not going to show up the way you want him to show up. He was not in the fire. He was not there. He was not in the wind but he was in that still small voice. God might not do what you want him to do and how you want him to do it. Take out Ahab, take out Jezebel. He might not do it the way you want, when you want, how you want. So you better have a listening ear because God wants to speak to you. And God will do things in unorthodox ways. And church, here's all I'm saying. Um, Sometimes things don't make sense to me, but it's probably because I haven't slowed down enough to like, okay, Lord, I want to hear your heart on this. I don't understand what's going on in the world right now in this way. Why is there so much hatred between these groups? What's going on? And sometimes I need to slow down enough to be like, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's my love for this community and this community. My love can exist for both. And I'm calling them to repentance and them to repentance. And I'm calling you to basically communicate Jesus, to preach Jesus, him crucified, him glorified. My point is there are certain things that don't make sense to me, but I have to slow down and be like, okay, Lord, can you speak? I want to listen. Because I want to just, I'm just begging our church community to have a listening ear. You know what's fascinating to me? Um, there's a lot of books on how to read the Bible. A lot of books on how to read the Bible. And here's how you interpret scriptures, which are so beautiful. I want to encourage you guys, like, the idea of, like, having good hermeneutics and how, how, you know, certain tools that you need to interpret the Bible correctly. Beautiful. But we're told in, actually, 1 Corinthians that we cannot understand the Word of God apart from the Spirit of God. And there's a side of this where I'd say, hey, Christians, cultivate not just good hermeneutics, but cultivate a heart to hear from the Spirit with, the, with this book opened. So open this book and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Speak. I'm listening. Speak. I cannot understand the Word of God apart from the Spirit of God. I can have the best hermeneutics in the world and still not hear from you. Do you think that happens in the church today? That it's up here? We know it, we can interpret it, but it's not here? Thomas Burton so famously said, Take, listen, please listen to this. Take every word as spoken to yourselves when you read. When the word thunders against sin, think, oh, God means my sins. When it speaks of any duty, oh, God intends me in this. Many put off scripture from themselves as if it only concerned those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will do no good unless it be applied. We need to read the scriptures with the Spirit. We need to read the scriptures like Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant listens. Don't just wake up and read and go, I read the Bible. Slow down. Eat. Rest. It's okay. Do what you need to do. Get to that place where you can say, okay, Lord, speak. I'm listening. I'm reading with the intent to hear. What is it you want to say? Listen, God cares about your physical needs. Thank you, Jesus. God cares about your spiritual needs. Hey, Elijah, you need to listen up. I'm going to do things the way you would not expect me to do things. You cannot put me in a box. I'm God. You're not. And I want you to see, like, there's something so beautiful and humbling when in your alone time with God, God goes, you've been doing it again. You've been trying to put me in a box again. You're not God. Hey, that's one of the best things I can ever hear. Stop trying to be God. Like, oh yeah, I'm God. Listen to me. This is my beloved son. Listen to him, God says. To Elijah, to Peter, all of them up there. Listen to him. There's another mount that God offers us. And I just think that in a sense, it's that mount of transfiguration where God's saying, hey, I want to reveal who my son is to you. I want to bring you on the inside. Peter, James, and John, you're going to truly see Jesus for who he is. And he's shining bright like the sun. And the idea is God's like, yeah, yeah, listen to that guy. Hey, church, listen to that guy. Listen to Jesus. He's speaking. Can we slow down enough to hear from him? Listen, we're about to hit Easter. We're, we're, hitting, we're in Holy Week. We're in this week where we remember, Jesus, you came in, and we went from hailing you as king to crucifying you days later. Why is my heart so quick to be like that? So quick to turn from you? 
speak. I want to hear. Why am I like that? I'm just like that. I'm so flippant sometimes with God. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. I'm out. How do we learn from this? How do we say, okay, Lord, I want to hear from you. It's good that you, you don't do it the way I would do it. It's good you do it differently than me. So I'm listening. Speak. Do what you want to do, God. Guys, let's be in prayer right now that those who yet do not know Jesus would have an ear to hear. The Spirit says, come. The Spirit says, he who has an ear, hear. I just want to encourage you guys, have ears. This is not just for non-believers Easter and Good Friday. This is for us. This is our Jesus. We also want to invite people to know this Jesus. I'm begging you guys. I'm going to covet your prayers this week for Friday, for Sunday, for souls, for salvation. To have a listening ear. It does not have to happen on stage. It can happen one-on-one, before, after. We would love for people to know this Jesus. Yes? So we're going to worship this Jesus. We're going to join the rocks right now. <laughs> we're going to cry out. We're going to praise him. And uh, I'm going to ask that we just be in prayer in this time and just you know, prepare our hearts for what the Lord has for us this week. Yes? Let's do it. Let's pray. Let's worship. Father, we just want to say thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you speak to us through your word. Help us not just to read it as a good textbook, but help us to read this as the living and active word. That Holy Spirit, you want to speak to our hearts. You want the medicine to heal us and be applied to us. This is not for someone else. Lord, I'm just so grateful that when Elijah is at his lowest low, do you meet him where he's at? You bless him. You give him what he physically needs, and then you speak to him. You didn't abandon him, but you spoke to him. Lord, thank you. Speak to our hearts. Help us here. Jesus, we just want to sing to you, praise you. Father, um, we thank you that you told us to listen to your son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. God, we just want to listen. We want to hear. We want to celebrate what this is just the last 2,000 years, celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you so much. I just want to praise you now in your name. If you guys want to stand, if you guys want to sit, however you guys want to worship, let's just worship.